Yes, yes, yes. Came across something I thought you might enjoy. Mr. Johnson, a 65-year-old widow man, a multimillionaire, he went to the doctor, wasn't feeling well. The doctor checked him out, sent him on his way. Several weeks later, the same doctor sees Mr. Johnson at the country club, but now he has a gorgeous 30-year-old blonde on his arm. So the doctor walks up and says, wow, Mr. Johnson, you must be feeling a whole lot better. Mr. Johnson says, yes, doc, I feel a lot better. Uh, I'm just following your orders. And the doctor says, well, what orders are they? He said, well, doc, you told me to find a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> Some of you will catch that a little later. <laughs> oh, Mr. Johnson, he uh, went to the doctor and heard what he wanted to hear. And there are times that we come to the house of the Lord and the great physician, the Holy Spirit himself, will whisper something to us and we hear it the way we want to hear it. I pray that you hear it exactly the way the doctor gives it to you, the way the Holy Spirit wants you to hear it. It's Palm Sunday. And I want to speak to you a topic on a message called the prayer of favor, the prayer of favor. And I want to speak to you about the prayer of favor and how it ties into the fulfillment of the very first Palm Sunday or the day of lamb selection. Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter two. The book of Nehemiah is one of the history books of the Bible. It contains the story of Israel's return from Babylonian captivity and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. Nehemiah was a Hebrew slave that God had raised up in Babylon to a very high and prominent position. He was the official cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes when word reached him that his city was in ruins and in need of repair. The cupbearer was such a favored position. Literally, the cupbearer would eat the food first off the king's plate, drink the beverage first, and if he didn't fall over dead, well, then the king would eat his food and drink his wine. Well, Nehemiah begins to fast and pray the moment he hears Jerusalem is in ruin. Friend, the book of Nehemiah can be summed up by saying, Nehemiah sees a problem. He recognizes the unique position and purpose that God has him in. And then he invites God to use him to save a city. He literally invites God to use him to save a city. Well, let's read it. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 5, as it fits into Palm Sunday and the Palm Sunday message. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. This is Nehemiah speaking now. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king says to me, what is it you want? Well, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, if it pleases the king, 
and your servant has found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Look at verse 8. And Nehemiah goes on to say, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Friend, on this Palm Sunday, how you pray determines what kind of life you live. If you only pray small, ordinary, get-by prayers, you're going to lead a small, ordinary, get-by life. But when you have the boldness to ask God to fulfill his will in your life, then you begin to ask him to open doors that might otherwise never open. You ask him for favor to take you further than anyone in your family. You ask him for the favor to do the unthinkable. You ask God for the favor to do the impossible. When you pray the prayer of favor, you will see the greatness of God's power operating in your life on a daily basis. Now in chapter one, Nehemiah comes to the understanding of why he was in the position he was in. He realizes it is for the glory of God to rebuild Jerusalem. He understands if I just live in the luxury of the palace and miss the purpose, then I have missed the whole point of my position. Purpose and position. Purpose and position. So Nehemiah begins to pray in chapter 1. In fact, Nehemiah 1.1 says, night and day that something could be done to aid Jerusalem is how Nehemiah began to pray. Now, during this period, Nehemiah had diligently tried to maintain a customary happy appearance, but his grief greatly was overcoming him and his appearance began to change. It was contrary to court behavior for a servant of the king to appear sad. See, being sad in the presence of the king was a serious offense in Persia. And you read that in Esther chapter 4 and verse 2. It was believed to be a bad reflection back on the king. See, if the people were sad in the presence of the king, well, then he took that as, I'm not ruling correctly. He took it as a personal offense. So everyone at court put on a mask, and they would walk around with this mask and have a jovial attitude, even though on the inside they could be crumbling. I could literally preach a whole series of messages on that theme that people even in America today, they'll come to church wearing a mask in hopes that no one sees what they're truly dealing with. So Nehemiah, he begins to pray. Nehemiah was four months in preparation of fasting and praying before he, he approaches the king. Four months of fasting and praying before he actually goes to the king with his request. Look at verse four. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Listen, you need to understand, this is one of those 10 second prayers because the fasting and praying had already taken place for four months. It's one of those kind of prayers that says, okay, Lord, here we go. Here's the opportunity. Let's go. Kind of like when you've been asking God for something and you get out of your car and you're walking in the parking lot towards your office and you say to yourself, okay, Holy Spirit, here we go. We need you now more than we ever needed you before. Or as you're walking towards chemistry or as you're walking toward the, in the university parking lot, okay, God, this is what we've been praying for. One of those quick prayers. Point number one, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. Would you say that with me? The prayer of favor 
opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. In all the wonderful things that God did for the children of Israel, there are few things any more astounding than this right here. A more daring request had really never been made except possibly the request of Queen Esther to save Israel years earlier. And in some of the commentators I was reading, many of them thought the time frame fit perfectly that Queen Esther was in the court or the house of Artaxerxes as Nehemiah is there as well. Well, that just blows my mind. It had only been a few years since Artaxerxes had commissioned Rahim and Shemshay to bring a stop to the rebuilding and fortifying of Jerusalem. And you read that in Ezra chapter 4, verses 8 through 23. The amazing thing is that Artaxerxes granted Nehemiah's request, lock, stock, and barrel, that a Persian king would have reversed a former decision was unheard of. You see, they considered themselves God, and they considered that whatever they said would never change. But for Nehemiah, he sends him, accompanied by a full military escort and with full authority to reconstruct the walls and fortify the city of Jerusalem, a city that he himself had conquered. Only God could have caused something like this to happen. So say with me, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. Say it again, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. But let me really explain to you and take you a little deeper so you can understand how the favor of God works. Verse 8 says, God's hand was on Nehemiah. You must realize the first Palm Sunday was a day like, not like any other. It was a day of incredible prophetic fulfillment. And it's tied all the way back to the Old Testament with the prophet Daniel and Nehemiah. Nehemiah, a common, ordinary man with the hand of God on him, became a supernatural tool in the hand of God. First, Palm Sunday was a day of lamb selection. It was a day of lamb selection. It was a day when all the nation would choose a lamb for the Passover celebration. The very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a day of amazing prophetic fulfillment. Understand that Daniel's prophecy of 69 weeks of years until Messiah would be revealed was being fulfilled the Palm Sunday with absolute perfection. Now the math of this prophetic fulfillment is really amazing. So hold your finger there in Nehemiah and turn with me to the book of Daniel because what happens on Palm Sunday can only be truly understood in the light of Daniel chapter 9 and Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. I'm going to show you something about Palm Sunday that many of you have never seen. There is a prophetic word that is given to Daniel, and Daniel prophesies that there will be a day when the Messiah is going to be revealed, and he tells us precisely when this is going to happen. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Daniel says, Note and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, so that's the key, there's going to come a command that will go forth to rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with a trench, but in times of trouble, in times of trouble. Now, these weeks that we just read about are not weeks of seven days, but rather of weeks of years, which was the Hebrew way of marking time. Now, in simple terms, here's exactly what the prophet Daniel is saying. 
from the time of the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the time that the Messiah is going to be revealed, it'll be a period of 483 years. Now, biblical chronology is based upon 360 days, not 365 days in a year. You see, their days and years are based on what is called an ecclesiastical calendar rather than a lunar calendar. So there are 360 days in biblical chronology. Now let's stop and do the math. 483 years times 360 days, this is 173,880 days. So Daniel is essentially saying prophetically, that in 173,880 days, the Messiah, the Prince, will be revealed. There will be a declaration to rebuild Jerusalem. So after the declaration is given, this is the time frame that will take place and the Messiah will be revealed. Now, both history and scripture supply the next piece of the puzzle. Historians and scripture tell us that on March 14th, 445, B.C., King Artaxerxes of Persia gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now we are back in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Why does he give this request? Because a slave working in the palace came to him with possibly another Jewish woman by the name of Esther sitting at the queen's side. <laughs> and he says to him, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are built so that I can rebuild it. Remember, Daniel says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt, but with a trench and in times of trouble. Well, Israel is in captivity in Persia or Babylon when Nehemiah makes the request. It's a time of trouble. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Now let's add it all up and make a mathematical equation so you can see the favor of God and really how it all fits in. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. March 14th, 445 BC, the day Artaxerxes of Persia granted Nehemiah's request and gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem 173,880 days after that, the Messiah was going to be revealed. On that day, it was April the 6th, 32 AD. Well, April the 6th, 32 AD was the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as Israel's longed after Messiah. And the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A better translation, Adonai, Adonai to the most high God. And they're waving palm branches in the streets. And they're crying out, save us, save us. It all goes back to Nehemiah realizing the hand of God is on me. And I want to be used in God's plan and God's purpose. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. This blows the minds of people who are watching your life and they say, how in the world did they get the promotion? How in the world are, are they getting all these great things? I, I am more educated than they are. And yet they seem to be advancing. 
Oh, don't you know, that's exactly what the others thought around Nehemiah. How is it that he is advancing so quickly to be at the side of the king? It's the favor of God. And favor is not fair. Let me explain to you how it works. God says, I've got a plan. I have a purpose for such a time as this. So boom, there you go, baby. There's some giftings you're going to need, Nehemiah, that I might use you for my purpose and my glory. And he says the same thing to you and I. I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for your life and for the time that you are living in. I've strategically placed you right where you are. So boom, there you go, baby girl. There are the giftings that you're going to need to fulfill my purpose in your life. And there are people in this room right now that some things just fell on you. Like Nehemiah, it just fell on you. And you don't even understand how it happened. Or how you can do what you do, it just comes so easy. There are other people who are sweating and pushing and they can't seem to grasp it. All the doors are closed for them. They can't seem to progress. But for you, it just comes easy. God just dropped giftings upon you. Now, some might be saying, well, Randy, I don't know what my giftings are. Your giftings are whatever come easy to you. They just flow out of you. Other people struggle, but they just flow from you. Whatever that gifting may be, it doesn't matter what it is. And understand, when God wants to promote you, he doesn't take the time to ask your boss. He doesn't check with your family or friends to see if they'll be bothered by it. No, no, he doesn't even ask the king of Persia. He just does what he wants to do because he's almighty God. He's sovereign God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you believe that, can you clap your hands and praise him? Oh, he's almighty God. He just does what he wants to do because he has a plan and a purpose. If you believe that, someone shout amen. amen. Say with me the prayer of favor opens closed doors. Say it again. The prayer of favor opens closed doors. Now, we need to understand that there's a correlation between the blessings of God and the purpose of God. As you walk with God and seek to be obedient to him, God will bless you for his purpose. Those blessings are uniquely yours. They belong only to you. They have been designed by God to uniquely fit your personality your character. God does not bless you so you can brag and uplift yourself. No, God blesses you because he has an eternal purpose in mind. Whatever that blessing may be, maybe you are a person that has the Midas touch in business and whatever you touch just goes solid gold. Maybe you can sing like these up here on the praise team and you just get up and it just flows, man, it's so good. There are others that you, you wanna sing like that, but it's not your gifting. And you're spending all this money for lessons. Listen, just save the money or send it to missions. That's even better. Well, pastor, you know, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah, you go ahead, baby. You just do that in the shower all by yourself. You can cast the devil off the coat rack and say hallelujah to the I don't know. But that's not your giftings. Some have the ability to be good looking like Pastor Randy. That Pastor Randy. He can't help it. It's a burden he bears. <laughs> and then there are others like his brother that remind everyone of Mrs. Doubtfire. But that's okay. 
He's got abilities too. Now, now listen, Miss Doubtfire made everyone feel happy. You walk into church and pastor's brother just makes everyone happy. Amen? Amen. Those are his giftings. Oh yeah, you could clap your hand for that. <laughs> I have a friend that's gifted at buying cattle. He's a multimillionaire and we were sitting together, you know, and, and he was sitting there with a, with a calculator in his computer and he's got this book open. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm buying black Angus cattle. I said, really, don't you have to go see them first? He goes, oh, no, no, no. It's all based on numbers and their heredity and all these things and these formulas. And See, that's his gifting. Me, I'd go out to the field and say, I want 20 of the big fat black ones over there. And he goes, that might work for the time being. But if you don't understand the depth of it, it won't last for a while. I thought, wow, those are his giftings. See, whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference what the blessing is. You need to understand that there's a reason for the blessing, an eternal purpose, a role to play. All those blessings are tools to strategically maneuver you into a place of influence so God can fulfill his purpose in your life. Just like he did Esther. Mordecai said, for such a time as this. Just like Nehemiah who said the gracious hand of God was on me. He had no idea as he's walking in the favor of the Lord that he is now being put into the time frame that would usher in the Messiah and fulfill the prophecy of Daniel. He had no idea the role he would play in the first Palm Sunday. Oh, and neither do you when you make yourself available to God. It's an amazing thing. All of these blessings and tools are there to put you strategically in position. See, influence comes from God. I know that there are others who think influence comes from their own abilities, but those abilities come from God's giftings. And influence comes from God. Paul talks about the power to persuade or influence men's hearts. The, that power and ability comes from God and God alone. So God gives you those blessings and talents and abilities because he has a purpose in your life. And the enemy wants to steal the purpose. Nehemiah recognizes his purpose. See, notice, he will, the devil will not try and steal the blessings or the giftings of God. He knows if he steals your giftings and your blessings that you will turn on him, but Satan always works in anonymity. He always works in the shadows. Lucifer or lucid or light bearer, the angel Lucifer was a created being with giftings. His gifting was to shower the throne of God with praise. But the book of Isaiah says that pride overtook him. He had a choice. And that pride caused him to be cast out of heaven. And he went from Lucifer to, or light bearer to deceiver. And he uses the same thing on you. He knows that you've got a gifting and an ability to advance God's purpose. But he says, I can't allow them to do that. So I've got to convince them to live for themselves. and to take all the giftings of God for themselves. See, the blessings you have right now are not for you, they're for the glory of God. The reason you can sing is for the glory of God. The reason you can have the position on your job, it's not for you, it's for the glory of God. Some of you will email me or you'll 
you'll send Facebook or Instagram and you'll say, Pastor, please pray. I'm the only Christian on my job and I want God to move me. And, and I'll answer you. That's why you're there. For such a time as this, God has strategically placed you for the glory of God. See, God didn't have to give you that position or that job to feed you. God could have fed you without giving you a job. But he puts you on that current assignment for the glory of God. While speaking in Alexandria, Virginia, the pastor leaned over and he said, listen, uh, at the end of the service, I want to introduce you to the young lady that's leading worship. I said, well, yeah, that'd be great. And so we go to the back room, and there she is with her husband and her kids, and she's about 110 pounds, soaking wet, long blonde hair, and the pastor says, tell Brother Randy what you do for a living, and he starts pushing her for, toward, towards me. Her husband kind of smiles, and she goes, oh, no, 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 okay. <laughs> and she looks at me, and she says this with a big smile on her face. She said, well, I am in charge. I'm the head of the secret service team for Melania Trump. I said, get out of town. You're about 110 pounds soaking wet. And her husband says, yeah, but she's bad. I said, what do you mean? She could take you down. I said, I bet she could. That's when she got big old tears in her eyes. And she said, but you know, pastor, can I say that I really enjoyed your message and I really enjoyed what God was doing. But let me tell you what I really enjoyed even more than that. I said, well, what was that? She said, when you gave the altar call and almost our entire church stood and ran to the altar and they all laid around the altar. I said, yeah, that was pretty awesome. She goes, no, you don't understand. It's awesome because I know those people. She said, did you see that very large man? If you're standing in the pulpit on the left-hand side with the dark suit and she began to describe him. I said, yes, I did. She said, what you don't know is he's the head of the secret service team for President Trump. And he was down there crying out for wisdom and understanding, asking God to use him. She began to go across the altar area. She said, that one over there was NSB, National Security. That one over there was in the, works in the Pentagon. That one there works in the White House. That one there is Secret Service. And that one over there is the right hand to a five-star general. And she goes down the listings of all these people who are in positions of critical importance. And with tears in her eyes, she said, you tell the people of America that God has got people stationed all up and down the White House and in the Pentagon that are his children. Oh, come on, somebody praise him. Oh, you didn't hear me on this Palm Sunday. I want you to clap your hands and praise him. For such a time as this. For such a time as this, just like Nehemiah was placed at the right hand of King Artaxerxes, she said that there will be impromptu praise and worship services that break out all over the White House. You'll never hear the liberal media tell you that. And she'll, she, she says, all the time at, at the Pentagon, I'll, as I walk in the Pentagon, you'll hear coming out of the offices, people just lifting up songs of praise and worship. For such a time as this, have you been placed as well? Friends, if we're going to reach our highest potential and fulfill God's will in our life, his mission for us, then we have to come to the understanding of the power of praying for God's favor. 
We will have to develop and possess the same boldness like Nehemiah. Let me ask you, when was the last time you asked God to do something impossible or out of the ordinary in your life? In your marriage? In your church? Can you imagine what would happen if all of you who are listening to me today would begin to pray for God to use you to do, to do the impossible? We wouldn't be able to hold the amount of people in this church. I believe one reason we don't see God do great things in the American church is that we pray for small things. See, most people pray over their food. They pray for protection. They ask God for wisdom. That's all good, but I believe it's limiting the limitless Savior. There should be something you're praying about and asking God for that's impossible. That's so far out there that cannot be achieved on your own. Nehemiah, as well as the heroes of the faith, listening to Hebrews 11, dared to ask, then they had the faith to believe. Listen, your dream this morning may seem impossible. You may feel like you don't have the connections or the funding. But Nehemiah is a reminder that he's tied into the first Palm Sunday. And God is asking you on this Palm Sunday, dare to ask me to connect you to the right people. Dare to ask me to flood you with my anointing and my gifting. Too many times we pray for small things. We pray, God, my child is making poor choices. Could you please turn them around? Listen, that's good, but that's an ordinary prayer. By an upraised hand, how many have adult children like I do and like Pastor Randy does that, that are wonderful, they love, they're, they're wonderful kids, they love God, but they're knuckleheads? Anybody else? Yeah. Y'all should raise your hand right now. Knuckleheads doesn't mean that they're, that they're stupid or ignorant. It just means sometimes they, they know better. But So I got a call from my son. You know, he's a knucklehead. He's graduating from the University of Arkansas in May. And he calls me. He goes, hey, Dad, we got a problem. We got a problem. I go, hey, what's up? He goes, we got a problem. I said, we got a problem? He goes, yeah, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I lost my keys and I parked my truck in the wrong parking lot here at school. And so we got a problem. I said, Quentin, we don't have a problem, son. You got a problem. I didn't park it there. You parked it there. No, dad, you don't understand. If I don't get it out of the parking lot at a certain time, they're going to tow it. And it's going to cost me $500. I said, mijo, listen, we don't have a problem. You have a problem. You're 20 some odd years old, I think he's 24 years old, 25 years old. You better go get some more hours at the little restaurant that you wait tables at or something. He goes, dad, listen, we got a problem. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, they said if I don't pay it by this time tomorrow, they're putting it on my school bill. We now have a problem. <laughs> I said, why didn't you say that to begin with? He said, I was trying to tell you. But he says, don't worry, mom and I have worked it out. <laughs> Those of you who are married, you understand. And I said, oh, really? You and your mother have worked it out. He said, yeah, mom said that you can get up really, really early. I look over at her. She's just dying laughing, you know. Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. And you could take me the extra set of keys. It'll only be a five-hour drive. One way. Que loco que no. 
I said, I said, really? So there I am going down I-44 and I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, can you help my son make better choices? He's a knucklehead. And the Holy Spirit answers, is that all you want? Do you only want me to help him make better choices? I said, well, no, Lord. Well, what do you really want? Then I realized God's asking me, do you want a favor? God, I'm asking you to increase him in such a way that he's more of a threat to hell than hell is a threat to him. Lord, I'm asking you that he would rise up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit as in Acts, the second chapter says, your sons and daughters, they shall prophesy. Lord, I'm asking you that he would just be able to touch people around the world. Lord, I'm asking you that you would give him a godly mate who rises up under the anointing of God. Lord, let them shake the gates of hell. Let them have an influence that will last eternity. And the Holy Spirit let me pray that way for a while. And when I finished, the Holy Spirit said, then pray that way all the time. Pray with me all the time. I want you to say with me the prayer of favor opens closed doors. So you might have a closed door with your health. You might have a closed door in your finances. You might have a closed door in your, in your life and, and you're saying, Lord, we, get, we need this. And God says, then pray that way. The problem is we don't know what we believe. Before you can pray the prayer of favor, you've got to know what you believe. So let me tell you what I believe and try to wrap this all up for you. And the moment you hear something you believe, you shout amen. Here's why. Because Satan will construct a train of thought. Remember I told you earlier, he tries to not steal your giftings, but he'll get you to live for yourself. He tries to steal your purpose. See, this explains how Mrs. Doubtfire, not pastor, but Mrs. Doubtfire, an amazing articulate man, by the name of Robin Williams, who made that, create, that character come to life. This explains how he can commit suicide. And we all say, how is it that someone so amazingly talented, for those of you my age, you understand him as Mork from Mork and Mindy. He's so talented. He, he's so amazing. How is it he can end his life on the end of a rope in suicide? What good is it to have giftings with no purpose? And you can always tell when a church loses their purpose, they level off in their attendance. And it becomes about me. Could it be the devil's convinced you to take your giftings and abilities and he's hindered your purpose? It explains how Kate Spade could be a multi-multi-millionaire and commit suicide. It explains how the, why the Hollywood elite, that they're so, they're so blinded by sin. It's because they've lost their purpose. And Satan will construct a train of thought to get you to lose your purpose, and you'll forget what you really are all about. You forget what you believe. So let me tell you what I believe, and the moment you hear something you believe, I want you to shout amen. Because that just jerks the cover off the scheme of the devil, and you realize... I'm not crazy. (laughs) 
I got a feeling there's a lot of crazy radicals in this room just like me. And just like your lead pastor. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God says is true. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who is our Lord and Savior, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, but he rose again on the third day from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. I believe the time is coming when he shall return. That's when he will judge the living and the dead, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the Holy Spirit who was sent from the Father to be the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until he comes again. I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. And I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in my time. I will hear the trumpet sound of God. The dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. If you believe like I do on this Palm Sunday, somebody clap your hands and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit that is alive and he's well. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Oh, come on. Praise him. Don't sit. Just praise him. Just praise him. Sit down if you can. We're almost done. I want the musicians to slowly make their way here slowly. That means not in a stamp. Oh, Boy, they're on it. Would you say with me, the prayer of favor opens closed doors. Can you imagine Nehemiah <laughs> as he looks from heaven's balcony and he sees the long, lean Galilean riding into Jerusalem as they're waving palm branches. Did you know that the palm branch was a, had meanings of triumph and royalty? And Nehemiah must have thought, wow, Lord, you put me there to fulfill prophecy. You make me wish I had more time Because point number two, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly. The prayer of favor places the hand of God on your life. The prayer of favor places the hand of God on your life. Nehemiah said it, and he understood it. The gracious hand of God was on me, so the king granted my request. That's how favor works. The Holy Spirit of God wants to come from within you and rest upon you, up on. I'll never forget the first time I felt the hand of God on me, my knees buckled, and it scared me. Now, after 30 years of ministry, it scares me when I don't have that weight come upon me. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. That phrase defines a specific activity of the Holy Spirit's ministry. 
When we speak about the anointing, we're describing the Holy Spirit making the presence of the Almighty God real in an average person or a place. An average person like a cupbearer preparing the way for the first Palm Sunday. An average person like you who are using your giftings to lead us in worship. An average person like you who will teach a Sunday school class. An average person like you that God will place on your job to bring someone to Christ. And when we speak of the anointing, we're describing the Holy Spirit making God real through an average, ordinary person. Jesus, he gives us the explanation on why the Holy Spirit comes upon you, why those gifts come. It's just not so you can say, wow, look how great I am. Look how anointed I am. Jesus goes on to explain the purpose of the blessing. He said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There was now a reason. Jesus is saying, it's time for my earthly ministry to begin so the giftings are coming that I might fulfill the God, the Father's purpose. When that transference takes place, understand, the moment you get saved, the moment you ask Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God, that same Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you the moment you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. He brings with him giftings and abilities to fulfill God's purpose. And when it's time to fulfill God's purpose, there must be a transference of the Holy Spirit from within you, up on you. Nehemiah said, the hand of God was up on me or upon me. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You say, well, why, Randy? His presence on you overlords demons and drives them out. His presence on you overlords sickness and causes health to flow at the insurance company where you work. His presence on you overlords guilt and condemnation and brings healing, grace, and forgiveness in a broken marriage, in broken lives. His presence on you overlords confusion and brings peace in the life of a teenager. His presence on you overlords fear and brings hope. Oh, friends, do you agree with me that we need the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives on a daily basis? If you do, then I want you to stand right now and lift your hands and say, Holy Spirit, flow through me. Flow through me. On this Palm Sunday, flow through me. I need your power. I need your presence. I need the promise of God's purpose and favor flowing in my life. Use me. I want you to invite him right now to use you to save a city to put you in his plan of succession. In the name of Jesus, I want you to lift your voice and praise him. Just praise him. For the Bible says, as you begin to praise him, he inhabits the throne of your praise. Just praise him. Come on, word of life. 